friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. now we're ready to go to God's Word, so may I invite you to please rise from your seats as we take a look at Matthew chapter 5 once again, and this time verse 6. And so at the count of three, let's all read together aloud. One, two, read. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just give you thanks and praise for this lovely Sunday morning. We thank you for the time of worship. We thank you, Lord, that we could commune with you and enjoy intimacy with you. And Lord, once again, we are here to be served by you. You are a king, and yet, Lord, amazingly, graciously, you serve your people. And today, once again, we know that you will serve us with your word. And we pray, Lord, that our eyes would be wide open, our spiritual eyes would be wide open, our hearts would be wide open to receive from you. We pray, O God, that you might minister to us in a very special way. And Lord, uh, we pray the Holy Spirit will be able to really inculcate in our hearts the values from Scripture. Lord, we will put our trust in you, and whatever is going to be achieved, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Heavenly Appetite. Now, we know that a lot of people have an appetite for certain things in the pursuit of of holiness. However, we have discovered that when happiness becomes our end or goal in life, it becomes actually elusive. I'm reminded of one famous Hollywood actress. Well, some of you may no longer know her because you're uh, the millennials already. But Some years back, there was this lady who was very famous because of her beautiful face. Her name was Elizabeth Taylor. So I was reading up an article on her a few years back, and I discovered that she had just married for the eighth time. She had just married for the eighth time. Now, I don't know if she broke that record and married for a ninth or a tenth time. I was no longer updated But it only proves one thing. She was in pursuit of happiness in a marital relationship, and obviously, she did not find it. It remained elusive to her. So the big question, of course, that we want to ask ourselves is that why is it that when we pursue happiness, it seems to elude us? And I believe the answer is found in the Scriptures. If you take a look at the Bible, the Bible never says that we are to pursue happiness in itself. 
Now, let me qualify that by saying that God is definitely not opposed to our happiness. Because if you take a look at how Paul describes the kingdom of God, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So just by that description of the kingdom of God, we already know that God is not opposed to happiness itself. But then again, we have to understand that it should not be the end goal of our lives. So what should be the end goal of our lives? What is it that should be the bottom line, the irreducible minimum in our life? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 6.33, again, something very basic, that we are to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us. So the Bible does not tell us to seek for happiness, but the Bible tells us to seek for His kingdom and His righteousness. Now, what we just read a while ago, Matthew 5, verse 6, is another version of how happiness comes about to us. The Bible says, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So it is when we take this, when we have this heavenly appetite and we take on this heavenly diet that you and I actually become happy. And that tells us, listen well, we can never ever be happy without righteousness. Can I say that once again? We can never ever be happy without righteousness. Isaiah puts it this way, there is no peace for the wicked. And in the book of Proverbs, it says, there is a way which seems right unto man, but it is the way of death. And so I would like to be able to exhort you, brothers and sisters, that we need to reorient ourselves in so far as our appetites are concerned. We need to have this renewed appetite for heavenly things. We need to have this renewed appetite for righteousness, because only then can you and I be truly satisfied. Only then can we be truly happy in our lives. Now, happiness, therefore, is a result of seeking righteousness, and without righteousness, there can be no happiness. I recall my professor, when I was still studying in De La Salle University, my professor, my philosophy professor, uh, told us that he had seen the end of the tunnel. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, how did you see the end of the tunnel? But he said, I've seen the end of the tunnel, and he said, there is no God. And you know, when you say something like that, that is so arrogant and so boastful, you must have searched every nook and cranny of the entire universe to be able to confidently and categorically state that there is no God. But you and I know that there is no man who is able to search the entire universe. In fact, there are billions of galaxies. How in the world can you possibly search for God Himself? How can you possibly do that in an arrogant and in a boastful way? No man can do that and be able to categorically say that there is no God. But anyway, having said that, this, this professor of mine 
has one of the saddest faces I've ever seen. And obviously, it is because he has no hunger and thirst for God, no hunger and thirst for righteousness. There was a recent graduate from the same university who was saying that there was this philosophy professor who told him that he had seen the end of the tunnel and that there is no God. And I was thinking, is it possible that up until now, he is still teaching in the university I came from? And is it possible that he's still throwing this garbage to people? That is rather unfortunate. And I just hope that people are not buying into his philosophy. Anyway, let's take a look at the outline that you and I will have this uh, morning. We're going to talk about the heavenly appetite. And of course, under that, you will notice that this is a pattern that we see in the Beatitudes. So the outline is actually very similar. So we find the happiness of those who have a heavenly diet. And then we're going to talk about the characteristics of hunger and thirst. What I intend to do is create an analogy between physical hunger and thirst and then segue into spiritual hunger and thirst. And then we're going to take about, we're going to talk rather about the tests of spiritual appetite. There is a way to be able to take stock or make an inventory of our spiritual appetite. And I think this is very important because a lot of times we've lost our taste for heavenly things. We've lost our taste for the things of God. And I hope to be able to address that. And my, my hope, of course, is that we will grow in our desire and our hunger for the things of the Lord. And finally, we're going to talk about the reward of being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So let's immediately dive in to the happiness of those who have a heavenly diet. We're going to talk about the characteristics of hunger and thirst. So first of all, it represents the necessities of physical life. Hunger and thirst are the strongest and the deepest impulses in the natural realm. And why do we say that? Because obviously we need food and we need water to be able to survive. Without food and water, we will eventually die. Now, I know there are some people who have fasted and prayed. In fact, in our church, several have gone through a 40-day fast. And they were able to last, but not without water. They had to have water to be able to survive. And of course, if they prolong that, okay, if they continued on without food, they would have died. And so far as I'm concerned, the longest that I've gone through in terms of fasting and prayer is about a week, seven days. I've done it twice in my life. And so I know what it feels when you are hungry, when you're famished. And so food and water are required for physical life. Now, just to show you the utter necessity of food and water, there was this family who actually poisoned themselves. They drank poison. And you know the reason why? Because they ran out of food and water. And that's the reason why they drank poison. And then in the history of Rome, sometime in 436 B.C., there was a terrible famine in Rome. And you know what some people did? They were so desperate 
that some people actually threw themselves into the Tiber River to kill themselves rather than to die with starvation. That is how absolutely necessary food and water is. Now, let me segue into spiritual hunger and thirst. Similarly, hunger and thirst represent the necessities of our spiritual life. And I'm not just talking about believers. I'm even talking about everybody, including those who are pagans and those who are unbelievers. Righteousness is not an optional spiritual supplement, but it is an absolute necessity. That is why even in the most primitive tribes, you will notice that they have some form of worship and some form of religion. Of course, that's not, that's not the real thing. That's not the genuine thing. But my point simply is people have this hunger and thirst in them, and that is why they have to do something about it. And in so many cases, we find people even inventing a form of religion or form of worship. I came across an article in Newsweek magazine uh, several years ago wherein there, was, there were these employees who were working in corporations. And what they did was they went back into the rituals of the Aztec Indians. You probably still remember the cowboy in Indian movies. And so they, they would wear paint, you know, they would put paint on their faces and they, were, they would beat the drums in worship. And once again, we know that's not the right thing or the genuine thing, but it, it brings home my point that people actually have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that is why people really hunger and thirst for something that probably they do not understand. Now, secondly, it creates a desire to be satisfied. Hunger and thirst create a strong desire to be satisfied. The desire never ends until it is satisfied. Now, how many of you have been to Fuente Osmeña or maybe Orange Brutus around that area or Dunkin' Donuts? Uh, my family and I used to frequent those places. And if you've ever frequented those places, you probably observed those, those young boys, those street boys, and they press their noses on the windows and they're looking and staring at your food. And I've seen some of them so desperate that when they see some leftovers, they actually boldly enter uh, into those fast food outlets and, and grab the leftover food and you find them devouring the food as soon as they get out of it. Once again, it proves a point that, that when people are hungry and they're thirsty, they want you to be satisfied. They will never stop until they are satisfied. Likewise, spiritual hunger and thirst creates in us a strong desire for righteousness, most especially, most especially for us believers. Why? Because we have been given or we have been made partakers of divine nature. And because of this divine nature and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we now have this very strong desire to work out righteousness in our lives. And this is the reason why sometimes we get frustrated because of this strong desire to be freed from the power of sin. 
Uh, I take as an example uh, Paul in Romans chapter 7. He was struggling with covetousness. Now, some people say that was his struggle when he was not a Christian. But then again, within context, we find that he was already a Christian. And so why was it that he was still struggling with covetousness? Why was, why was it a struggle still for him? Well, you need to understand his background. He was a Pharisee. And among the Pharisees, riches and wealth was a sign of divine, divine favor or blessing. So that was something that was inculcated in the mind and in the heart of Paul. That when you are rich, when you are wealthy, you're favored by God, you're blessed by God. And somehow, because he grew up in this kind of a mentality, he still somehow struggled with it. And he confesses that in Romans chapter 7. And at the end of that, we find his exasperation. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And you know what? If you are a born-again believer, that's how you feel. When you're struggling with sin, you desire to be freed from its power. And that is why sometimes when you find yourself doing the same thing over and over again, sinning against God over and over again, you get exasperated. And I would not be surprised at all if just like Paul, in exasperation, you say, wretched man that I am who will set me free from the power or from this body of sin. Likewise, we have this desire to be freed from the desire for sin. And, you know, this is most especially true with people with certain addictions. For example, addictions to drugs, addictions to alcohol, addictions even to pornography, addictions to smoking. Uh, when the CCM board came over this week, we were meeting up on certain things, but we had certain light moments, and we were comparing our, our past. And I was sharing the fact I was smoking two to three packs of cigarettes a day. Pastor Robbie was also smoking about three packs of cigarettes a day. Uh, so we asked uh, Pastor Ricky, what about him? He said, you know, I, I, I was never into smoking cigarettes, but I was smoking marijuana every day. <laughs> so I don't know which is worse, all right? And, and Pastor Bob himself was a chain smoker, and Pastor Louis Martin used to be a drug pusher. <laughs> that was the kind of life that we used to live. And now, thankfully, we're now pastors and we're serving God. And praise the Lord, we've been freed from, from the desire of, of these things. But then I know there are some people who are still struggling with that. And, and in their hearts, they're crying out to God, Lord, remove these ungodly and unhealthy and immoral desires in our hearts, oh God. That is so true if you are a born-again Christian, which tells us, by the way, uh, the necessity of coming to Christ, the necessity of being born again. Actually, in the Greek, if you were to do a literal translation, born again actually means born twice. Now, some of us are only born once, and you need to be born twice. And what do I mean by that? The first birth is physical, our natural birth. But what some people don't ever, ever enter into is a spiritual birth. 
And that's why Jesus was saying, you cannot see. You cannot even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So all these things that we're talking about, the perception of things that are invisible, things that belong to spiritual realities, people don't even understand that. Why? Because according to Ephesians chapter 2, they're spiritually dead. So they are incapable. They don't have the ability to perceive these things, unfortunately. And so, once again, brothers and sisters, it's very important that we become born again. Now, positively, it also means a desire to be right with God, a longing, and a desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the end goal of our lives. We want to become like Christ. And that is why if you are a, a genuine Christian, one of the greatest hopes that you have is the rapture. Now, why is that so? Because here's what the Bible says about the rapture. When he appears, we shall be like him. And that's exactly what we want to be. We want to be perfected in righteousness. We want to be like Christ. And again, that is true of those who have a relationship with Christ. By the way, this verse in the Greek is in the Greek present participle, which signifies a continuous longing, a continuous seeking. So we're not talking about occasional desires or occasional appetites. We're talking about a longing, a desire that consumes you every single day of your life. You want to pursue righteousness. And again, that should be true if you are a born-again Christian. Now, third, it becomes a driving pursuit. All people actively pursue or all people actively seek food. And a lot of times we ask ourselves, why do we work? If I were to ask you, why do you work? I think most of you will say, well, I want to provide a, a bright future for my family. I want to have savings. Or I want to have something uh, during rainy days. And of course, we, we come up with those uh, generalizations. But you know what? Let me just say this. One very important reason, and perhaps we've, we've, we've even forgotten about it because sometimes the obvious things are things that we normally forget. But let me provide to you one of the rationals why you're working. Because you want to eat. All right? Amen? Amen. Come on, be honest. Amen? Amen? Will you just simply be content about putting money or depositing money in the bank? Of course not. You are working because you want to be able to eat. You want to be able to provide food on the table for your own children. That is why, again, it's something so obvious, yet, as I mentioned to you, something that is so obvious is something that we often forget. Similarly, those who are spiritually hungry and thirsty pursue. They pursue the fruit of the Spirit in the whole of life and activity. They pursue the fruit of the Spirit. And where do we find the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22 to 24, which I would like to read to you once again. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now we want the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, it's singular. Why do you think it's singular and not plural? Normally, uh, when you have uh, a, a, a multiple, multiple things, it's usually uh, in plural form. But notice, it's not in plural form, it's singular. But the fruit, it says, not fruits, but fruit of the Spirit. And how the Bible sees it is that when you have received Christ as Lord and Savior, when you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the fruit is already there because of the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, it needs to be expressed. Some of us are growing in some areas of the fruit of the Spirit. Nevertheless, it should be present. And if you are a genuine born-again Christian, you want to be able to grow in all of these things. Grow in love, grow in joy, grow in peace, grow in patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so on. Now, here's my question for you. Have you been growing in these areas? Have you been growing in so far as your joy is concerned? Have you been growing in terms of your patience? Have you been growing in terms of your self-control? Have you been growing in terms of your kindness? Now again, friends, there is no excuse for us not growing. In fact, we find Paul continually chiding those who remain as spiritual babies. God wants us to enter into spiritual maturity. Now here's another characteristic of hunger and thirst. It becomes a passionate force. There is a consciousness of our desperate need that it reaches the point of pain. That's why it's called hunger pangs. Now again, I don't know if some of you have ever tried fasting and praying, but since I fasted and prayed uh, for about a week, let me just share to you some of my experiences. When you reach the third day, that's when you begin to feel the pain. That's when you begin to feel the hunger pangs. And it comes to a point wherein it actually becomes quite agonizing. And of course, if you're not even used to fasting, the mental torment is something that can cause you to become crazy. But again, we're able to survive a little bit because we have some stored fat. All right? Some people have, have a lot of stored fat, and you will probably survive for 100 days. I don't know. Well, anyway, the moment, of course, that that fat is, is uh, uh, if, if that fat, that stored fat is, uh, is already, uh, uh, what do you call this, it's already been consumed, then that's when you start feeling this, this agonizing pain. That's why I recall one movie before, it's called Survive. This was way back in my college days, so some of you may not even uh, know this. But th this is a story of, I think, a group of athletes who were together in a plane, and they crashed. My memory serves me right, somewhere in the Swiss Alps or the French Alps, and so they fell. And there was still some food remaining, all right? Uh, some of the stored food that was remaining. So they were able to, 
to eat the food, but unfortunately, the food ran out and the rescue was not forthcoming. So what had happened was some people actually died because of the freezing cold and some people died because of famine, because of hunger. And so the athletes were talking, to them, talking among themselves and they were saying, what, what do we do? Rescue is not forthcoming. And then somebody suggested, why don't we eat the bodies of our fellow passengers? And to some people, it sounded so repulsive, and they said, there's no way you're going to let us eat the bodies of these dead passengers. But then the days went on, and they began to feel really, really hungry so that they really began to eat the meat of the dead passengers. And in fact, there was one who actually puked the moment he ate the meat, human meat, he immediately puked. But then later on, he had no choice. He had to eat it. And they were able to survive. But they were actually reviled by, by so many people for being like cannibals, for acting like cannibals. But, you know, it brings home my point that, that sometimes, you know, when, when, most especially when you're hungry, it becomes a passionate force. And similarly, segueing into spiritual hunger and thirst, it becomes so, so painful to us when we are not walking in righteousness because our desire is to become righteous at all costs and we are even willing to make those sacrifices. Now, as I talk about these things, I need to ask you, would this characterize the kind of hunger, the kind of spiritual hunger and thirst that you have? Or is it possible that you're saying, you know what, what you're saying, Pastor Mel, I can't relate to that. I don't have that kind of hunger and that kind of a thirst. May I submit to you, either you have become dull or dense as a result of your spiritual complacency, or is it possible you do not yet have a relationship with Christ? And so may I issue an invitation to those of you who still do not have a relationship with Christ. If you desire to have these characteristics of hunger and thirst, well, you need to have a relationship with Christ. And I pray that you will do so today, or if not today, at the soonest possible time. Because you will never ever understand what I am talking about unless you have this personal relationship with Christ. Now, how do we test our spiritual appetites? Well, a few things. First of all, it is an active pursuit. It is an active pursuit. People who really desire something with their whole being do not sit down and do nothing. Rather, they pursue it actively. They read and study God's Word. How many times? every single day. The Bible says that we need to meditate on the Word of God day and night. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So may I ask you, does it, is it true that 
the kind of feeding that you have spiritually approximates the kind of feeding that you give to your own bodies. I mean, we, we eat three times a day. Some people eat five times a day. Some people even have midnight snacks, you know. The question is, what are you doing about your soul? Are you feeding your soul with the Word of God? Now, you might say, well, you know what, Pastor Mel, you don't know how busy I am. You know, it's really a matter of making time for something that you truly believe is important. Amen? Now, when you have a life-threatening situation like cancer, for example, you would be more than willing to drop so many things. Why? Because there's one thing now that consumes you, and that is survival. So my whole point is this. Don't tell me that you're busy. Don't tell me that you don't have time because you can always make time for something that is truly valuable and really important. And the Word of God is really important. You know why? Because Jesus Christ said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. And so what we get out of the Word of God is something that truly nourishes our own soul. Next, we need to go into prayer. How many times? The Bible, in fact, says pray without ceasing. The Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, He knew the time was coming when He was going to be arrested and He was going to be crucified. And knowing that His disciples would be shaken by this, He told them, that they needed to pray for at least an hour. Pray because he says that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. But guess what the disciples did? They slept. Several times the Lord Jesus Christ approached them and said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And yet they continued to sleep. And finally, the hour comes. The hour wherein Christ is arrested. And what happens next? Well, all the disciples desert the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not have the spiritual fortitude and strength to be able to hang on and not to leave the Lord Jesus Christ. They forsook the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because they did not have spiritual strength because they did not pray. And once again, this is so important and so very basic. And let me, let me just once again emphasize this. Isn't it true that sometimes the most obvious things are the things that we neglect the most? Like, for example, isn't the first commandment, doesn't the first commandment tell us this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yet, what was it that the Ephesian church had forgotten? They had forgotten their what? Their first love. The most obvious thing was the thing that they had actually forgotten. And isn't that true many times in our lives? So we engage ourselves in, in a lot of activism. We engage ourselves in a lot of Christian activities. 
And we think that that can replace our loving God. Let me tell you this, brothers and sisters. All the activism that we are in, all the activities that we are in, be they spiritual or religious, doesn't replace our abiding in Christ. It doesn't replace our loving Christ. And that is why we have to love Christ at all times. And the way to love Christ is to come before Him in prayer. Because what is prayer? It's having a conversation with God. It's spending time with God. It's having intimacy with God. And how can we say that we love God if we're not willing to spend time with Him at all? And again, it has to do with the most basic things. People who are really hungry and thirsty, they're willing to fast if they have to, if they have to. Now, also, here's another test of spiritual appetite, the avoidance of certain things. People who are truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness avoid things that are bad, harmful, and sinful. I recall there was one general who was offered this thing, he, uh, this, this guy approached the general and said, you know, I'd like to offer you some beautiful ladies. And the general said, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in that because uh, I have a wife. And this other guy says, well, there are other guys who have wives, and yet it doesn't stop them from having fun-filled activities like this. Finally, the general had to make mention of the fact that he was a Christian. And that shut the mouth of this gentleman who was trying to offer him certain ladies. A similar story happened when there was this American, and he was a businessman, a Christian businessman, and he was with two other Filipinos who happened to be Christian businessmen as well. And so while they were having a discussion, there was one other American who approached them and said, I will be at the poolside tonight with some ladies. Would you like to join me? And the Christian American businessman said, we are all Christians here. My my business partners are Christians. Please stop talking like that. We don't enjoy such talk. So here's how you know you have spiritual appetite because you avoid certain things. Now, people who are truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness do not just avoid things that are bad, sinful, and harmful. They also avoid things that would spoil their spiritual appetite. Let me ask you this question, for example. Which is more important to you, social media, movies, TV, or prayer? Which is more important to you? Which is more important to you, joining a concert or joining a worship gathering? Which is more important to you, reading the newspaper or reading the Bible? We need to ask ourselves these fundamental questions because it actually determines what we really like, what we truly value. And once again, it's a no-brainer to say that we should be valuing above all things the things that are spiritual, the things that are godly. Now, if we spend more time 
with things, with these things, than with Christ, you can be sure that we do not have a healthy spiritual appetite. We do not have a healthy spiritual appetite. So again, let me ask you, do you have this in your heart? Do you have this hunger and thirst for spiritual things? Now here's a third, a strong desire to know and be like Christ. Here's another test, a strong desire to know and be like Christ. Now here's a question, can I truly and honestly say that I desire above everything else in the world to know God and to be like Jesus Christ? Is that a consuming passion in your heart? I recall the story of my father. I recall one time he was filling up a BIR form, all right? And as he was filling up the BIR form, he was actually misrepresenting what he was earning. In other words, he was going to pay the government less than what he should be paying. And he rationalized to me when he saw me looking at that. He rationalized. By the way, he was not yet a Christian at that time. He was rationalizing to me, well, the government steals from us. So, you know, if they're stealing from us, what prevents me from doing this, he said. So that was his rational. But when he became a Christian, his perspective on life totally changed. He began to treasure integrity and honesty above all. I recall a time when a policeman actually flagged him, stopped him, and I don't know what violation he made. Probably there was really no violation, but my father knew that this policeman just really wanted some money from him. And the normal procedure in our country is you give your license, but together with that, some cash. All right? That's, that's the practice here, so that you don't get a ticket. But my father said, just give me a ticket. Just give me a ticket. And there, then and there, you already know that my father had changed. He had changed his perspective in life. I also recall this Christian lady from Bohol. She was, giving a, she was given a promotion, a salary raise and a promotion. But she was told that she had to go to another province and do her work there. So she was being asked to transfer. And she refused that promotion. She refused that salary raise for one reason. Because she did not want to leave her family behind. And at the same time, she did not want to be stopped from serving her own church. Her values have changed. So this is how you know that you have a strong desire to know and be like Christ. Here's another thing. You have a single and all-consuming passion. Let me say it once again. A single and all-consuming passion. Let me define that. A starving person has a single, listen, that, listen well, a single all-consuming passion for food and water. Listen well. Nothing else has the slightest appeal or attraction. Nothing else can grab his attention. Let me give you an example. How many here would take an offer to go around the world for free? Raise your hands. Come on, be honest. Okay. 
round trip around the world for free. All right, raise your hands, please. Come on. All right. Somebody might just be generous. You don't know. But would you take that offer to go around the world for free, all expenses paid, without food? No. Would you take, for example, would you take, for example, a BMW, all expenses paid, it's yours for free, but without food? The answer is no. Would you, for example, take an offer to be billeted in a five-star hotel, all expenses paid, without food? And the answer is, never mind. You can have the hotel, you can have the round trip around the world, you can have the BMW, I'll have my McDonald's or my Jollibee. Amen? Para dili alcance Alright? I'm not being paid for that, by the way. And so it is a single and all-consuming passion. A person who is hungry and thirsty for God has a single consuming passion. I recall this middle-aged man. One time he was crying out to God, and he was saying, God, I love you. God, I want to serve you. And that, that speaks bundles about the kind of passion that he had in his heart. And let me ask you this question. Is that true in your heart? Is that true in your life? Would you be willing, just, just like what I mentioned to you, would you be willing to set aside everything just to have Christ? Christ and nothing else. Christ is more than enough for you. We need to be able to answer that question because that determines our spiritual, that, whether we have a healthy spiritual appetite. We need to be single-hearted related to the fourth one. People who are truly hungering and thirsting for righteousness do not ask for Christ plus something else or Christ plus popularity. Christ alone to them is more than enough. Amen? Could you say that? Christ is more than enough. Sadly, there are some people who think that the Lord is not enough. It has to be Christ plus something else. I know some people who have changed Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and he shall make me lie down in green money. Instead of green pastures, green money. Uh, Pastor Bobby was relating to me a story when he was still uh, serving in Bohol. He had observed that certain pastors would actually station themselves at the post office practically almost every day. And he was able to find out that they were simply waiting for their foreign support. Now, nothing wrong with foreign support. But he told me that some of these pastors, this was their practice. They would come into a congregation like this, and they would start taking pictures. And after taking pictures of, for example, this congregation, they would wire or they would write people abroad, and they would say, this is my church. This is the church that I'm serving, and then they will ask for foreign support. Now, obviously, these pastors are not true servants of God because they serve for money's sake. 
They serve not Christ. They cannot say Christ is more than enough. Now here's another way to test your spiritual appetite. Do you seek God's will? Do you want to do God's will from the heart? I recall the story of one sister who was doing a Bible study among Makati policemen. And many of these policemen actually became Christians. They became born again. And what we learned is that they gave up 50,000 pesos. I'm not sure if it was every week or every month. They gave up 50,000 pesos, which they were receiving, and it was dirty money. But because they had now become Christians, they decided that they would no longer take the bribe money, that dirty money. And by the way, that tells you how we can change this nation. We change this nation not by simply sharing about values, not simply about sharing uh, about integrity and honesty, because, you know, these are just words. And words to people right now, they're cheap. You want people to change? What needs to change is their heart. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the hearts of men. Amen? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the hearts of men. And if you really and honestly that, you've got to actively share the gospel to as many people as possible. Now let's talk about the reward of being hungry and thirsty. The Bible says, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? They shall be what? They shall be satisfied. The Greek word here is the Greek word kortatso, which is used of the feeding of animals until they wanted nothing more. They were allowed to eat until they were completely satisfied. You know, my experience with our youngest grandson, Elijah, is that he has a, he has a great appetite. And, and you know, it's, it's no problem to actually feed him solid food because he's taking some solid food right now. And so when, when he sees uh, food on, on a teaspoon, immediately he just opens his mouth. And you can just feed him and feed him and feed him. But when he is full and satisfied, he closes his mouth. He is satisfied. That's the picture here. God will bring satisfaction in your life. He will make you happy here and now. Amen? Amen? God will make you happy here and now. But aside from that, I'd like to take note of the fact that this is also in the future passive tense, which also speaks of a future blessing. We're talking about the second coming and the millennial kingdom. We're talking about even our uh, departure towards heaven. And this is what the Bible promises in so far as the future blessing is concerned. Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 12. It says, They will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion, and they will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain and the new wine and the oil, 
and over the young of the flock and the herd. And their life will be like a watered garden, and they will never languish again. Then the virgin will rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. I will fill the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people, listen well, will be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Amen? He will satisfy us with His goodness. Let me just end with a quotation from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And this is what he says. All the trouble in the world today is due to the fact that man is not right with God. For it is because he is not right with God that he has gone wrong everywhere else. Let me say it once again. All the trouble in the world today is due to the fact that man is not right with God. For it is because he is not right with God that he has gone wrong everywhere else. Righteousness will make you happy now, and you will be even more happy in the next life. Amen? Shall we give the Lord a big hand, please? Praise the Lord. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes at this time? Well, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I wonder if there are some here who are telling themselves, I, I can't relate to what you're saying, Pastor Mel. I simply don't have that hunger and thirst. But I know there's something that's empty, something that's lacking in my life. I've tried everything else in life. I've tried bits and pieces of the world, and yet I still find my heart empty. I'd like to tell you what is, what is lacking and what is it that will fill that void in your heart. It's God. You need to have a relationship with God. You need to be right with God. Now, to have a relationship with God, you have to understand some fundamental things. Number one, you're a sinner. And it is your sin that, that sets you apart from God. You need, you need to have a relationship. And the way to have that relationship is not through good works. Because your good works will never attain to the standard of God, which is perfection. Christ, however, died and paid for all of your sins. That is why salvation is a free gift. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You just receive it. But at the same time, you need to repent. You need to ask God for forgiveness for all your sins. And tell him, Lord, I'm really sorry for all my sins. And secondly, you need to want to change. Now you might say, but, but how can I change? Well, let me tell you, it's not you who will change yourself. It's the Spirit of God. But you just have to cooperate with Him and say, Lord, do with me what you want to do. Change me and make me the kind of person you want me to be. So if that is what you desire, you want to have this relationship with Christ right now, 
I'd like you to bow your head and to close your eyes. And if you would, pray this prayer, but make it your own prayer. If you want to receive Christ, could you please slip up your right hand to the Lord? Right now, yes, sister, amen. Anyone else? Yes, I see some other hands at the back. Keep it raised up, please, just so I could, I could see it. Yes, amen, amen for all those hands being raised right now. Amen. You can put them down right now. I'd like you to please pray this. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask for forgiveness for all my sins. Cleanse and wash me from all unrighteousness. In Jesus, Jesus, save my soul. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. And I fully, totally, absolutely surrender my life to you. From this day onwards, I am completely yours. Let me serve you and love you, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, even as I receive the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's continue to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for ministering to our hearts. And Lord, may the Word of God test us. May the Word of God examine us thoroughly. And just like David, may we pray in this manner. Test and see, Lord, if there is any hurtful thing in me and cleanse my heart, O oh Lord. O oh Father, I pray that you will create a spiritual hunger and thirst upon each and every heart this morning, O oh Father. And I pray that you will bring about conviction, you will bring about repentance, you will bring about a, a great and strong desire to walk in righteousness, to love you with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. Oh, Father, we submit your people to you. You've purchased them, Lord, with your blood. They are precious to you. And you have promised in your word that you would build your church and that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. That what you began, you will complete. And so here we are, Lord. Do a great work in our hearts today. Change us, Lord. Thank you. So we give you thanks and praise, even for the tithes and offerings that we can give to you. Thank you also that, that we could worship you, Lord, with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen and amen.